This episode is brought to you by Fallen Rook Publishing. For books and resources written by humorists for humorists, Fallen Rook Publishing have a wide selection of resources to help you with your training and studying. I couldn't recommend Jay Ackert's Swords of Science and Society any higher if I tried. Visit www.fallenrookpublishing.co.uk. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Blades for Days where we're going to be talking about swords and sword fighting and big weapons and lumpy heads. I'm your host Jordan and joining me today is Mike Prendergast. Hey buddy. Hello Jordan. How's it going? Hey. Good to see you. Yeah, nice to be here. It's um, I'm admiring your wall decorations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do get a lot of love. <laughs> yeah, I can see the... Um, is it, uh, you've got the bale fire? Is it a bale fire? Yeah, this is Tebrantia is my new baby. Like much respect to uh, Chris at Balefire for working on this. Um, really nicely handling sword I had made up to suit the um, description given by Pietro Monte in his Collectania. So it goes yeah. to my nose just about, but it's really light and maneuverable. So it's like, I think apart from not being sharp, it's pretty much everything Monte would have wanted in the sword. So it's cool to have. That's awesome. Fun. So it comes up to your nose. You're about my height, aren't you? We, we're about the same height. So I'm like 184 centimeters. And I don't know centimeters. That's six, I know that's six foot one in your medieval terms. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's that's a hell of a that's a hell of a sword then. Um, it's but it's actually a medium sized sword because if it went to my forehead, it would be long. Right. Okay. Cool. Clearly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's longer than what like i guess what we generally see used uh on pieces and stuff because like my Genye, uh longsword is i mean it, it only comes up to my collarbone mm -hmm. and uh i remember at one point um jonathan middleton was checking all the weapons before we went on for wessex league uh mm -hmm. the wessex league tournament and um he he looked at my sword and he was like, "That's a that's a big sword." And then he just kind of like looked at me and went, "Ah, big guy. Okay, there you go. You can, <laughs> you can have it." Unfortunately, not so big. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, like uh, Pietro Monti is one of those one of those characters, one of those sources that I know next to nothing about, and I hate having gaps in my knowledge. Uh -huh. um, so, like, I was the first workshop I taught. Um, outside of the academy was at uh, it was bike camp skirmish and I, I started giving like I started uh, talking to people and I was like okay so Fiore talks about this and, uh, and somebody put their hand up and went who, who who's Fiore and I'm like whoa fucking kidding me right now and I was like oh wait no 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 because it's part of my day today you know <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's like somebody saying Barack who Obama what you know or like something like that so um yeah, uh, but Pietro Monti, I don't know a great deal about. So, yeah. uh, well, Pietro Monti's got even more hipster chic than Fiori in this context. <laughs> um, I like to think there's only that I'm aware of. There are only three surviving 15th century Italian sources on fighting. Um, there's Fiori, as most people have heard of. There's Filippo Vadi from 18, uh, some 84. So 1484, maybe-ish, we can't date it exactly. Uh, Monty 
published, well, he didn't publish, he died, and then someone published for him in 1509. He he died as he lived. He was leading a section of the Venetian army at the Battle of Agnadello, but uh, they met the entire French army. So they had a long, hard day, but Monty didn't survive that. But he wrote most of it back in about 1490. So it's late 15th century, and it just seems the swords get bigger. Pastoris typically comes to your, you know, maybe your sternum. Vadis classically comes to your armpit. And Monty comes to the nose or eyes of its bearer. Yeah. That's ace, though. Because um, the thing about, like, I love Fiore. I love Fiore as a source. I don't mind Vadi. But, like, um, the thing about when you read about the, the masters, a lot of the time, they're history or they're, they're, they're kind of other than the fact that they were you know fencing masters and that's kind of badass but like you read about what they were doing on the side and it's like ah oh, they were a magistrate or a tax collector or something like that so for uh for monty to like die in battle i know he was me- i don't know how true this is was he mentioned by da vinci in, in that's, that's his that's his like 15 seconds of fame yeah there's one, <laughs> i think it might be the codex atlanticus there's um a section where uh leonardo is writing about um ballistics and about the flight of darts. Now a dart is a dartum, which is a six foot long, like javelin in our terms. And he says, I must, he makes a note in the side, like in the side notes, must speak to Master Monty on this. Because they're in the same place at the same time. They were in Milan in the court of the Sforzas in 1590s. So 1490s, sorry. Um, And actually, unusually, it's funny you say, we do have some cred for Fiori, apart from his own CV in his preface where he mentions like his student who beat Boussico, the Marshal of France, that's cred. Uh, but Monty's mentioned by Castiglione in the book of the courtier, which is the book of like, it's kind of the Renaissance ideal of how a noble should be. And he yeah. mentions Monty as the supreme master of all form of trained strength and, and excellence. So he's famous in his day, which is quite unusual for one of our surviving masters. Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that that's awesome. Um, and the the kind of because it's it's more of a war book than a than a fight book. Is that right? Or... Well, I'm going to say it's mostly a fight book, but it's much more. Um, there's there's three volumes. The last volume is is very short. It's 16 chapters, and that's on generalship and about the things you think about when you're captaining an army, which he did as a as a conditary as a mercenary in northern italy but the first book is in very general terms it's about principles and the second book generally is about technical details like they cool he messed up mostly in the second book okay how you fight with weapons in detail um but he starts on wrestling there's a lot of chapters on wrestling because that's where you learn how to fight you learn nimbleness of movement it's it's a basic for of everything um but it's it's so much more than fighting here's i think 19 odd weapon combinations, including five types of spear, different types of shield, I think five times a pole weapon, a couple of swords, pole we- axes, the, the works. But he breaks things down into wrestling, long weapons, which are the pole axe and everything that's on a haft, and short weapons, which is the sword, which is basically this, this and downwards is a short weapon for Monty. So a dagger or a sword, it's the same principles, loosely yeah. speaking. But, but a lot of the book is about philosophy. Like this whole section of the book is about, it's kind of like a tour guide, the characteristics of people from different provinces, like the British, the Bohemians, the Bretons. Um, and also there's a lot on philosophy and psychology and actually what you would call 
uh, Renaissance personality typing. Like, you need to know the personality person you're fighting, right? Because you know, the aggressive at the at the offer, the kind of sanguine, or the calm, or they like did lots of color. And there's a different way of fighting these different people. And you can tell in fabulously fascinating ways. For instance, how lumpy their head is, or the color <laughs> of their skin, or do they have bumpy joints? All of these things are clues. Because it's it's a classical Greek um, theory of the humors. So there's four humors, which are essentially equivalent to like the four elements, like it's fire, wind, water, earth. Um, but Monty has written another book, which I haven't translated entirely on humor theory. Okay, so he's really into this. So it's it's more than a fight book. It's a collection by someone who's a Renaissance man who was a fighter, who was a companion of Leonardo who lived and taught nobles. And there's a lot of natural philosophy in his understanding of, of life. There's just advice for how to look cool, which is important, I recommend that. Um, how, to look, how to make things effortless. Um, there's also advice on lots of things about physical training, um, about how to throw things, how to throw javelins. There's an entire section that goes on and on about different ways of vaulting on a horse, which is like, nowadays in modern uh, gymnastics, we have like a vaulting horse. They yeah. had a horse and a saddle, <laughs> uh, which is important for nimbleness in the saddle, right? So you, you have to learn to do these things and do them in armor. Um, so there's just, there's masses in the book, which in some ways makes it fascinating. Uh, in some ways makes it feel like you really need an editor, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's um, like the, the, the training thing, because I read an article recently, I'll have to find it. Um, but it was about like training in the medieval period and a lot of it mm -hmm. is like, you know, it talks a lot about jumping, uh, right. throwing rocks and vaulting. And it's one of those yep. things that like, when I, when I'm first, uh, when I was first reading it, I was thinking vaulting is in like pole vaulting and, like, and then it kind of like, <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 of course, like vaulting, like that makes, that makes way more sense. Um, it's, it's funny that considering how much content there is there that, you know, people like Vadi and Fiore seem to have more modern day like light cast on them mm -hmm. than this guy who is kind of, as you said, like a, a Renaissance man. Totally. I have a theory on that. Um, Monty's got no pictures. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a big dense and it's in, it's in Latin. Um, I don't speak Italian, but I'm told by people who speak Italian that medieval Italian or Frulian that Fiori speaks is kind of, you know, you can get through it. You can figure it out with help. Yeah. Um, there's just less people in the community that I guess speak Latin. That's a factor. Um, first of all, it's a bit big and intimidating. Uh, I, I put off doing this book for 10 years. Seriously, I heard about it. There's a book that was published back in 2001 called The Martial Arts of Renaissance Europe by Sydney Anglo who's a professor, I think he might've been in Glasgow at the time. And that was my first mention of Monty. And he, he went into great depth of what was in Monty and his philosophy of fighting, his use of fainting. And it was like fascinating. So great. He's, and he was supposed to be working on translation and he didn't. And, um, and I didn't kind of feel like I didn't speak Latin. I'm not going to be doing this work, you know? So I mailed a few people. I heard that um, Toby Capwell, who was then Wall's collection, there was a rumor he was working on it. I actually mailed him to see, did he know anyone was working on it? Didn't hear out and back. Um, I finally just got off my backside and made a connection with a, a friend of a friend who was a professional Latinist. Uh, she's Swedish. She, she interprets medieval Latin professionally um, and kind of started putting something together. But like I was put off. Um, it's dense, it's in depth. Um, 
nobody knows much about it. Um, it needs an editor, um, and there's no pictures. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, I mean the pictures are like they're both really helpful and then horribly misleading at the same time. Um, because like one of the things that uh, that um, pisses me off is when I compare Fiore's different manuscripts and like something as simple as Finestra, which is one of the stances, yeah. one of the postures, looks different in like, you know, in, in one it's behind the head, in one it's in front of the head. And you're kind of like, well, help me out here, man. You know, but that's the artist. That's not the, you know, that's not the, the person um, who wrote it. So there's that like kind of degree of, of uh, removal um so yeah they you know they can be quite misleading and i love it i absolutely love it when you get people who try to imitate the artwork exactly exactly and it's like oh yeah but like that guy's got like six foot arms in you know in this image or whatever and so yeah so like sometimes it's great to have those images but sometimes it really trips you up well i think thank god we've got more than one version of fury Yes. There would be this canonical interpretation that you have, like maybe it was the one where Finesse was behind the head, which I would interpret as, as Donna. I guess right. I'm thinking that's just an artist error. We would we would know that this is, how is this Finestra different from Donna? Because we know it's Finestra. You would be really, people could get hung up on that. Yeah, yeah. In every other, in every other manuscript, uh, it's it's here in front of right. the face. So you're right. holding the sword uh, in front of the face. In, but in this, uh, I can't, it's the, uh, is it the Florius? Yeah, the Florius. Uh, it's held behind the head, and it's it's not a mistake, or or well, I mean, it might be a mistake, but it's not a mistake in that they went okay, uh, like you know, Finestra on the right is here, and Finestra on the left is here, or anything like that, because Finestra on the left is behind the head okay. as well. So it's like okay, okay. that's okay. you know, that's. Uh, I think it's safe to say we can't take every Fury illustration at face value. Yeah. Yeah. You're familiar with the dagger play where there's three arms on one? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that one. It's like he's gonna win every every grapple ever. <laughs> yeah, step one, you know, parry the dagger. Step two, grow a third arm out of your chest, slap him in the face with it. Yeah. Um, no, I like that. Uh it's uh, it's funny because I, I recently um so I put a video up on social media about dagger. And uh, mm -hmm. there was a conversation I was having with Matt Easton. I don't know if I, if it was in the the podcast part or if it was like after we were talking. But he said, mm -hmm. if you say something about swords, people will take it like, and they'll say, yeah, okay, that that makes sense, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. If you say something about knives or daggers or anything like that, people will lose their fucking minds, right? And they'll come after you in the comment section because they'll be like, oh, no, I've got daggers at home. I know what I'm talking about. And uh -huh. like the amount of rage that you get um, is, yeah, it's it's quite intense. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, with the uh, with you know with the swords, with the bigger swords, with the pole axes and stuff like that, one of the misconceptions that you get a lot in um, in well, I guess there's the classic um, Conan the Barbarian idea that a two hundred swords weighs ten pounds. Yeah, that's got to be the most common. Um, so this one weighs 2.4 kilos. So I guess that's five pounds, give or take, yeah. something like that. Um, and I think that's kind of common. If you look at um, 
large Badone Montanti from Iberia from around this time period, early, or let's say the early um, 16th century, that tends to be about the weight, two and a half kilos-ish. They go up, but like two and a half kilos is quite common um, because every sword needs to be light enough to handle. Monty even has uh, advice on that in his, in his chapter on the lengths of weapons, which thank God he's given us because that's so often missed and other sources. He talks about, he says kind of ironically, uh, if you want to come to grips, carry a long and a heavy weapon because it is easily put aside and then one doesn't have time to retrieve it again or recover before your opponent or before one comes to arm's length. So it's kind of like saying, don't carry a long heavy weapon unless you want to end up grappling. Yeah, yeah. And it makes sense. Like I do, like um, I've got a sledgehammer, which I use for like mace type swings. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's about 14 pounds. Um, and so six and a half kilos, say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, I mean, that's fine, but obviously, like if I if I swing that thing forward, there's no way I'm recovering that in time. So if I don't hit you, I'm done, and you know, or I'm dropping it, and I have to. Blow. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so it's yeah, it's one of those things where I, I you know I, I use that sort of like bigger thing, and then I pick up a sword, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is so much lighter. Which I don't know well, if that's any good for training, but yeah. Well, Monty thinks it is. We, we know you remember you may know that Vigitius, the Roman source that's from about 500 AD, mm. who talks about the training of legionnaires, late Roman legionnaires, talks about training with weapons and shields of twice the weight. Yeah, um, I think a lot of modern um, physio like experts would kind of recommend not doing that because you can torque your arms or maybe wear wrist straights or something. Yeah. But Monty talks about there's a chapter on how to make your sword lighter, and how you make a sword lighter is, of course, for about two or three days before you have a contest train exclusively with a heavier weapon and then on the day go back to your sword yeah so for short periods Monty really really recommends this yeah i mean i've got a um i've got a sword that i normally train with which is it's quite weighty uh mm -hmm. and then recently i got an aureus and it's like it's like a feather like i could lose uh, like i could use it happily in one hand and not tire mm -hmm. um but the problem is that because i'm using this heavy sword i'm almost like over swinging the lighter sword uh-huh yeah yeah so, yeah so i don't think it has a place in long-term training i don't think yeah. you should train with the with and then use a different weapon on competition <laughs> that's yeah that's no. <laughs> yeah uh, no i, 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 I did add it i did add swordfish once when i'm it turned out my rapier was this much longer than the illegal weapon length when you counted the blunt and at like three minutes notice i borrowed a sword that was this much shorter um yeah. Didn't do well in that tournament, but I did get better as as the as the um the pool went on because I finally managed to tune in people. Yeah, but, uh, not recommend it. No, it's it's um like it it really does mess with you because like you you have like there there are times where I've had to do it. I had to do it. I don't know if you remember at the um, uh, fight camp, and because my sword had rings on the side, they said no, we're not allowing those, and they let us know before the longswords uh thing right. i was like oh okay so i had to borrow uh stefano's longsword or was right. i borrowing yours i might have been borrowing your longsword. i think you might have borrowing either like we we're in the same pool i think you were yeah. borrowing various of our swords when we were at we're yeah exactly so i was like switching out swords depending on who i was fighting um and i was just like i have you now oh no that's short, oh, short. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's so frustrating I, I had a similar experience i went to um i got to take part in this uh he european games in minsk back 
you remember that year when we used to go and travel to events in the no, outside that, that seems like a long ago distant dream does, yeah <laughs> thank god that wasn't 2020 is all i'm saying but there was a really nice prep journey for that down in brescia in northern italy like the december before but they had preliminary rules for rapier lengths with this much shorter but i hadn't kind of discovered that till i got there with my rapier and again it was like it's two minutes to start i can't use this great a friend of mine max let me a sword but i just remember distinctly perfectly missing opponents by this length just like placing it in like where his cheek would have been if yeah. if he was like say 12 centimeters closer it's yeah. like argh, frustrating <laughs> yeah because you actually develop part of not hurting your opponent part of being a respectful fencer is not driving it up to the hills like um Degrassi would recommend. Yeah. It was just touching them with just enough pressure. And you know, you learn that skill. So if your sword is a bit off, it, it, it takes tuning in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I uh, thrusts for me was something that I had to relearn because I, I, I did like Viking reenactment for uh -huh. years and years and years. And because we're not wearing any facial protection, we're not wearing any kind of like, uh, some people wear plastrons underneath, but it's not very common. Um, and so when you put in a thrust, you start turning it to the side so that if the point makes contact, the blade kind of buckles uh, in right. your wrist so that if they're yep. charging at you and doing something yep. uh, silly, um, yep. then you're not going to skewer them. And mm -hmm. I found that for like for ages when I started um, Hema, when I started Hema, it was with side sword, which is, you know, there, there's a lot of kind of points going about. And right. I just sort of going to put my point in. And then this trained behavior, it was just like, <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah. yeah I've, I've occasionally had reenactors come to my fencing classes. And yeah, the freakiest thing is when you get them to stab somebody in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's a moment. I found it really hard. I, like, in a way, um, I think it's a good thing that I did that for so long because it it kind of, um, it gave me a lot of respect for what happens when you do get smashed in the face with a sword, be it blunt or, you know, whatever. Because right. I've, mm -hmm. I've, like, I've been smacked in the face a few times. And sometimes it's, like, by people on your own side, right? Because yeah. they're looking one way and they bring their sword up over their, over their shoulder uh, just as you're stepping into the line and you get, like, bam! And they don't even realize they've done it. Um, and they come forward and they're like, oh, where's that blood coming from? But um, <laughs> what it means though is like when I'm fencing, if somebody puts their point in my face, I mm -hmm. like I kind of respect that in yes. the back away. And I've yep. I've had it with a few students when they when they first join, they're just like running onto me, running onto me, whatever. And like, <laughs> you know, we double or we like or I skewer them, or they might get something, and it's like, yeah, okay, but it, it's like running a red light to get somewhere quicker. Like, yeah, you can yeah. do it and you might get there faster and you might get there without being like hurt, but the, you know, your chances of getting skewed go up and up and up and up. And so yeah. one of the things that I, I make them do is take the mask off and then I just stand there with like the, the sword in front of their <laughs> face and go, okay, how comfortable are you right now to run me down? And I've had maybe one or two Polish people go, yeah, I'll still do it. And I'm like, cool. Okay, well. <laughs> But yeah, it gives you a sense of reality there, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I've got to sort of like, you know, I've got to sort of like calmly talk to them about it because I don't want, I don't want an insurance nightmare or anything, but I want to, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want like, I, I want to get across that whole like thing about, um, no, don't, like it, it's, 
you know, it, it is a danger. And maybe like if somebody's putting that there as a threat and it's coming forward, um, maybe deal with it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, right. Yeah, well, that's the like, essence of fencing, isn't it? Like you deal with the threat, you you attack. Absolutely. It, 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 you know. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember I had a chat with somebody, and and um, I said if we weren't wearing kit, the the fighting would be so much like totally different. And they said, oh yeah, there'd be way more jumping around and and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, I I, I think it would be the opposite probably because you, you wouldn't want to kind of get skewered. But I I don't know, like you know you 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 do hear war stories about people going you know people going berserk and sort of running onto the points of swords so that they can uh you know cut down their opponents and stuff so could be either way i guess i guess yeah but i think in general if you ever see like on on youtube sometimes you see real life sword fights there was like a, a dispute over speaking order at a sikh event in india some years ago where you see people swinging scimitars with intent but it's basically out of range mostly it's mostly i think of it as the way animals like predators do threat displays they make themselves big yeah. they threaten they puff themselves up and that does there's a communication layer there before you get to blows and yeah. if you intimidate your opponent and they back off it stops people getting hurt um, obviously in HEMA we don't have that because we're not going to get hurt we go for it yeah. um, but there is another sort of level to i think real fighting that sort of beyond that yeah absolutely and i mean you see it with um like certain people who do knife fighting with sharps and and stuff mm -hmm. like that there, there are two videos that i've like sent to my students and like or, or put on facebook um mm -hmm. and i've been like if i ever found out that anybody did this right <laughs> i'd be livid and one of them is uh i think it's a pair of like russian guys and one's got like a, a wooden shield and one is attacking him with a sharp axe and the axe does what the axe is designed to do. And it just goes right through the shield into this guy's arm. And they're just training in the gym. Yeah. And um, this guy just kind of like looks down at his arm and takes off the shield. And it's like obviously gouting blood everywhere. And uh, and he's like looking surprised. And I'm like, what did you think the outcome was going to be in that, in that situation? Yeah. So yeah. I think I think there's a reason they don't use shields in like the 15th century when people have played armor. It's like a heavy encumbrance that lasts five to ten minutes in battle. It's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and the other one is uh, there's this guy, and they were obviously quite drunk because they're in a kitchen somewhere, and there's like uh, there's a few people gathered around, and uh, he puts like a sausage in his mouth, and he tilts his head up. And the guy goes to cut the sausage in half, right? And it's obviously a razor sharp sword. I don't know if it's any yeah. good. It might be like a Lord of the Rings, um, you know, stainless steel wonder. But the blade on it is obviously sharp because he cuts through the sausage. But then also the guy kind of like, like he leans forward and the tip of his nose it has like come <laughs> come off basically. Yeah. So wow! Again, who could have guessed that could have happened? <laughs> yeah exactly did you need like a blackboard to like work out what was gonna go what was gonna go wrong there mm -hmm. um so yeah it's one of those things where i'm like if you were aware of this kind of thing you know if this was your world and you were training and you you saw the result of what swords could do to people would you be mm -hmm. that eager to jump onto the point of one of them to, mm -hmm. to land that hit you know yeah yeah maybe so. not so much <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely um so i mean rapier is that is that something that you did from uh pietro monti or is no no pietro monti um like 
it doesn't really do any weapons that you wouldn't find in 15th century. So rapier is really like 100 years later. So yeah. I just, I've, I've done rapier for 20 years. I've, like rapier is my introduction to cycle fencing. I was at an event in summer of 1999 in this little kind of churchyard in Spaldwick in the UK, uh, which is like somewhere in East Anglia. And just, there was a couple of really, like there was just this, it was an SCA event. Now the SCA is a medievalist group, the Society for Creative Anachronism is its full glorious name, um, which is about recreating the medieval experience or rather the good bits, if you like, uh, not so much the plague, more so the feasting. Um, but part of what they used to do was historical fencing. But actually this was before we had like rapier simulators. So we were just getting Schlagers, which are pre kind of Hema rapiers. Um, so I'm kind of unpacking several boxes at once, but bear with me, I'll come back oh, yeah, to the story. Please. I promise, I promise. Um, Schlagers are, are training weapons for that crazy German university fencing. Whereas if you don't, if you haven't been watching YouTube and seen people get sliced up, you can do it for real yourself. Uh, it's called Mincer. And it's kind of like the ultimate gut check or your macho demonstration of prowess. You stand with your feet planted, you wear this mask, looks like some sort of beekeepers thing. Goggles protect your eyes. Um, huge leather construction covers your, your neck and throat, your cheeks and your forehead are completely exposed. And you stand there with a sharp mincer, which is like a long straight, essentially like a short rapier blade, uh, basket hilt, hand behind your back, and you just batter back and forth until somebody takes the bleeding, bleeding head wound and they score and they win. Rather, the other guy scores, you lose, but you get cool scars. Uh, so. This thing apparently still exists in some very traditional German university societies, as far as I'm aware. Okay? Yeah. I don't know if it honestly still does. I suspect it does. Um, so if you're in Europe and you want to do rapier in like the failing days of the 20th century, what can you do? Well, you can get these training blades from Menzer that are called Schlagers. Not exactly like they're rapier. They don't handle very well because they're parallel edged. So the handling's a little off. They don't have distal taper to the same thickness. But it's blade and you can mount it on something that looks like a rapier and you can make a rapier. So when I started rapier fencing, uh, I'm embarrassed to say it was with a foil. Later we upgraded to epes and they were kind of heavy and scary as you can imagine. Um, but by the time I got to this event in 99, there was a, quite a few of us in Ireland who were doing this stuff had Schlagers and I was just about to buy one. And there was, there was workshops on Degrassi um, on First work thing I ever, time I ever heard of Distretta, Labradetta Distretta, was taught by William Wilson, who headed up the Tabashol School of Defense. He's from Arizona. An odd guy, Guy Chalak, who also brought a, a translation of Giganti, my favorite rapier master later. Um, Stefan Dika, who ran, who runs Alte Kampkunst in Germany. He earlier set up a group called the Freifechter, who was the first person I knew who interpreted Meyer. So all these people like were coming together and teaching rapier in a historical way. There was other people were kind of less well known within, but we're teaching like Degrassi or whatever. So just like immersion in how you could fight historically. It's like, it's amazing that we, we know how to do this. And it was like hooked. So it kind of went from there. So that was 99. So I guess that's 22 years almost at this stage. Yeah. So rapier is just predates everything for me. Uh, but I always thought long swords were cool. And when I could get into sabers and long swords and, um, you know, sword and buckler, that's kind of, that's my set of things I'm interested in. And then Monty brings me into two-handed swords, which I don't anticipate safely doing in tournament, really, when you've got a weapon that large. But um, 
It helps me understand Monty. It helps me train with a weapon that gives takes no prisoners in your body mechanics. So you learn how to move and you can translate that back to longsword. So there's all kinds of good stuff. Um, apart from it's fun to swing a sword as long as yourself around in your garden. That's also yeah. good. It looks ace, doesn't it? It looks so good. And it's that it's kind amazing. of like the, that visual, what you were saying earlier, the, the sort of intimidation factor. Mm -hmm. um, because I was talking to um, Mike Thomas from the AHF and we were talking about like the, you know, the Zweihander and the, the Montante and, you know, whatever name you want to give these big swords. And, um, you know, uh, I had a go with his. He's got like a black fence uh, um, simulator, so it's mm. it's uh, synthetic as opposed to steel. But I was having a go with it against um, Pike, well, Spearman, uh, and I got destroyed. Um, and then we were discussing it later, and you know, he was saying, "Well, you know, it's probably more kind of you know bodyguard versus people who have smaller weapons, and you just." basically just sweeping the field like moving you know moving 10 meters to the left taking these big sweeping strikes moving 10 meters to the right you know again big windmill of death you know and i love that idea um and i think that it's it's something that i desperately would love to see in tournaments but like you i'm like i don't know how you do it um not with friends, I think. With friends who you trust to have the head screwed on, I think it yeah. would work slowly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the same with like half sorting. Like I'm happy to half sword with the people that I've trained up enough that I'm like, I know that if their point makes contact with my throat because they've shortened that grip on the right. sword, they've got a hand on yeah. the blade, they're not gonna go and get that like you know right in there. True. True. In theory, if they're reliable, it's they have more control because the hand is nearer the point of impact in theory you know so yeah. if the head's screwed on it could be safer yeah it's it's when the competitiveness starts to you know it's like international tournament culture is a bit like impactful for my liking yeah yeah so what you said what you said though about like sweeping the field and and keeping away a body of people that i'm sure that applies because i, I mean we know from figurato's rules on the montante that it's what one thinks you use the Montante for. But even in Rapier, um, Giganti wrote his second book, which is much more Rapier on the street or Rapier on the deck, because uh, by the time he wrote his second book, it, I don't know if you, you I'll, I'll, you're probably not familiar with obscure Rapier Masters, but Giganti wrote a book in 1605, which is like the school or theater or, or demonstration of fencing. And it's kind of well-mannered. It's kind of what you teach people in the salle and it's very stabby. Um, in 1608, apparently he did well off that first book because he's no longer in Venice. He's working for the Crusading Order of Stanza Stefano in the um, in the Mediterranean, and their business, their like everyday trade, is taking Turkish galleys. Uh, they took, I think, seven or nine galleys on the year that uh, Giganti started with them as a master of arms. So he's teaching really practical applications in the second book. It's how to fight against someone in heavy armor with a heavy sword when you have a rapier, uh, but also. There's a beautiful chapter on how to fight against multiple opponents with a rapier. And what you do is you cut back and forth, cross-cutting. It's almost like Polish saber. It's like cutting back and forth. And to practice this, he even recommends you should cut, you should practice delivering 200 or 300 continuous cuts and as many reversos. So that's, if you keep count, 400 to 600 continuous cuts in one go. And I guess if you do that daily, you're good for, you can, you can beat away any number of attacks. So yeah. definitely cutting is good for multiples. Trusting has the unfortunate situation that you stab somebody, your sword is now stuck. 
and the yeah. buddies are angry. Yeah, uh, I think Vadi says the same thing. He's like, never thrust if you're against multiple opponents. Uh, and, the, and the grassy for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 pretty much we can take that lesson from a lot of sources. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's funny because like again, that's one of those things that um, you do see a lot. You know, you see the thrust employed, and because we're used to using these blunted swords with the the, the rounded tips or the you know the square yeah. tips, whatever. Um, like a thrust has stopping power. Um, yes. And in a tournament. In a tournament, yeah, 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 absolutely. It has a stopping power in a tournament, and you could do that thing where somebody's about to hit you, but you put the thrust in against their body, and it stops them dead, and you just yeah, and you can push and drive that in, but um, right. you know, to to keep them away from you. And I remember I got really, um, uh, I got like uh, really sort of had a bit of a lacing from my instructor. So my instructor, uh, uh, Marco, when I was, uh, when I first started in HEMA, I was in Italy and Marco, my instructor, um, when I was fighting somebody there, I was way taller than they were. And we both put in a thrust and my thrust landed uh -huh. and my opponent's thrust was short, right? And Marco uh, turns to me and goes, double, do five burpees. And I went, <laughs> I said, that wasn't a double. I said, you know, because I, I landed the thrust, his his didn't land. He said, what would happen with your sword? And I went, oh, yeah. yeah, it would go, yeah. And he went, yeah, exactly, double, go do 10 burpees. And I was like, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> so, good point, good point. Um, yeah. At the other end of that discussion, a few years ago, I was at the International Rapier Seminar in Strasbourg, where Olivier Dupuis was organizing it. And he had this one rule in the rapier tournament that like there's essentially no afterblow because in rapier if you stab somebody um it's not like you take the sword out again hit them again you typically you impale them run up to the hilt maybe knock them off their feet in that elegant delicate manner that one does a rapier as you know um so he's kind of saying well afterblow doesn't really make sense because it's not like the, the swords bounce off each other they impale you so you kind of gain control so that was an interesting an interesting approach too. I like when tournaments have different rules. I don't like when people gamify the experience the idea that they're playing to a rule set mm. instead of playing to like maybe sword fighting skill that you didn't apply to different rule sets. So. I um I was talking to uh, Julia, the last guest that I had on. Um, I, I'm going to butcher her last name though. Julia, Yuli, oh god damn it. I, I practiced it. <laughs> Sorry? I, I, I can't say it probably very well either, but I think it's like Judah Yuli Hooker. Yes, yeah, I will go with that. We'll say that's the one. Cool. I, I had cool. to blame me. Don't blame Jordan. Sorry, Julia. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. Jump on that grenade for me. But like, yeah, it was because I like before I did the um, before I did the the intro to the podcast for the last episode. I had to like say her name like ten uh -huh. times and record it, and then just go. I think this one is the closest. I'll, I'll just I go with that because <laughs> if I like I'm. Every time I speak another language, I got pretty good at pronouncing Italian stuff towards uh -huh. the end because I lived in Italy for a while. Yeah. But um, yeah, we were talking about tournaments and um, I, I said, maybe I said it, I don't know. I think I was, I thought about saying it, but I, when I train, I like when I go to a tournament, I never read the rules of that tournament um, before I go there because the way that I fight, I, I don't want to, I don't want it to influence the way that I fight and I don't want it to influence the way that I fight in a tournament. Um, and right. so, uh, a lot of the times when I'm sort of adopting a particular guard and I think, mm -hmm. okay, well, if he, you know, if he or she tries to run me down, I'm going to go back and like, and enter here. Yeah. And, you know, there'll be times where 
it'll land and I'll sort of like step in for uh, you know for the afterblow because I missed the the, the thing and I'll go yep. to do the afterblow um, because that's what I would normally do uh, right whether or not I would be capable of doing that but it you know and then the judges will be like that's landed or they'll be like okay yeah that's that's fine um, but you you stepped and so the afterblow it, it's not going to count but I don't want to as you said, like, I don't want to game it or anything. So I don't mm-hmm. think, all right, well, I'm going to wait for him to, to, uh, to make that um, thrust and then move or whatever. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Cause it, it sort of takes, yeah. it, it, it sort of takes away from like how you, the intention. It's, al- it's almost like you're training for your art and you don't want to be kind of just dragged. That's, that's a fancy word, but it's a very practical term, actually, honestly, in medieval terms. Art is kind of applied skill much more than like yeah. art, in our, as we tend to say. But like you're, you're training for your style, your tactical way of fighting. It's almost like you don't want to be like, you don't want to be veering left and right. You don't want to be changing your game for like random tournaments. You want to fight as you fight, it almost feels like. It seems yeah, like yeah, a very no, kind of incredible I, thing. I, I, was, I was laughing, uh, not because I like, uh, because of the, the word art, because it is a martial art. That's, that's what we're trying to do yeah. here. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I agree 100%. It was just that you said quite succinctly what I, uh, you know, what I was trying to say, but I bumbled my way through it for, for quite a bit. So, well, I had a second go. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you pitched it up, I hit it, you know. Yeah, Didn't yeah. Thanks, man. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and I like, you know, I, I kind of, I, I kind of like uh, swing between uh, liking tournaments and not liking tournaments. And um, mm-hmm. actually, uh, talking about uh, Italy, and uh, I took part in a tournament out there. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you've got a clone or a doppelganger or something out. In really? The- I genuinely thought. Does, it- they have my, does they have my new haircut? Because I just <laughs> <to> have. It. <laughs> I should do it. No, I need to find this guy. I, I like because we we ended up talking because I literally went over to him, um, uh-huh. and I was like, "Hey, Mike," and he like he turned around and started speaking to me in Italian. I was like, "Ah, oh, uh-huh. Mike." Yeah. Wow. But yeah. I forgot his name because I was calling him Mike Pretendergast. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I see that. <laughs> um, and uh, we fought, and he, like you, he's very technical. So I was like, "But what is it? You know, is he just <laughs> is he just doing the like the mystery night thing? Like, just, yeah. I got some random night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got some like random event um, out in Italy. Nobody will know me. And then you're like, ah, oh, shit, it's Jordan. Oh no, oh, like, God I gotta, damn it. <laughs> I pretend like I'm Italian or whatever, and yeah. I don't know him. Um, yeah, but, just, yeah. just, just love Jordan probably doesn't speak Italian. I go, Baba, Mamma Mia, spaghetti, lasagna. <laughs> <All be good. laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, my Italian's bloody, bloody awful anyway. I, I got, um, I've been invited to come and teach um, out in Puglia next year. Oh, nice. Um, which is, which is cool. It's like teaching on the beach, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, there, there are two things that I'm kind of like a little bit concerned about. One is that I'm going to be teaching like Italians, Italian, mm-hmm. like, you know, an Italian system. I, and I'm like, oh. I, I've, I've, I've had to cross that, that bridge with French people a, a couple of times. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's, well, at least it wasn't a French system. So that would be one step worse. Yeah. Well, I did teach Italians. I was on a Monty seminar back in 2018, and I did have to teach Italians my interpretation of Monty in English. So that was funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I've got Italians in my class. And, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's that thing of like as soon as they join, the first time like I had uh, Italians join up, mm-hmm. 
I was like, all right then, guys, uh, we're going to do a mandrito And I'm like covering my mouth with my hand because yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, in other words, we're doing a descending cut from the right. It's fine. You don't have to, don't even worry about it. You know? yeah. So, um, yeah. And like, I'm, that's the thing that I'm worried about because I, I was asked before by uh, my, my previous instructor to come out and teach. And I was just like, like I can't like I can't go to Italy and just butcher their language. Um, they'll they'll chase me out of town. So yeah, but you haven't you haven't heard like sideshow till you've been to Finland and they're they're like there's like Finno-Italic. It's like la, la linea avoina, which is <laughs> the open line, but in two languages. So yeah, the actually the the best uh, pronunciation where like it, it's really uh, weird. I don't know why they were using Italian terms. But when I first set up the academy, we had to share the hall. Uh, mm-hmm. So there was like a partition curtain and there were like uh, like 10 of us. There wasn't that many of us at the time, um, but we, we, you know, we set up and next to us was a, a Ludo sport group. Who, oh yeah, lightsabers. Yeah, lightsabers, right? And the thing is like, I'm, I'm cool. Like I'm absolutely cool with that, right? Go nuts. Like it, they're having fun, but- right. During the warm-up, because they'd start before us, during the warm-up, they'd be fighting mm-hmm. and they were using Italian terms for the strike. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Um, and so the guy's pronunciation was so English. He's like, <laughs> we're doing a mandrito fendenti and, uh, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, Ouch. Ears yeah. are hurting. Trying to hold yeah, your mouth closed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a little bit of nails on chalkboard you know and yeah, i just don't, don't want to be that guy excuse me but you're doing it wrong yeah i didn't want i don't want to be that guy but at the same time there was a part of me that wanted to be like you know go over a bit like, oh, relief actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to say it out loud yeah yeah and so like later in my class, I'd be saying it, but like with as correct as pronunciation <laughs> as possible. But I'd be yeah. like, "All right, the guys, we're going to do this," and like you know, and I'd say whatever the the, the you know the uh, the posture of the guard was. Um, and uh, but the th- but since living in Britain, I found that I'm starting to anglicize it a lot more. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, since uh, since leaving Italy, and uh, I'm a bit annoyed with myself. So sometimes I like I'll. Um, we record the classes or whatever and i'll listen back to it and i'm like oh come on jordan you're better than that you know it is helpful to have italian students i have i have this lady lisa who's runs like sometimes runs class and stuff so she's been a while but i often just apologize in advance to her and to if there's other italians there yeah uh, but she helps me pronounce fiore and not fiori or, and you know if yeah, my partner Agnieszka, who's who's Polish, by the way, Ishka's Polish, but she still reminds me to say Monte and not Monty. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> like Monty Python. Yeah. Because yeah. that was the thing. Um, the the um, uh, the workshop that you were doing in uh, Ireland, and it was Ireland Agashka, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Polo weapons. Yeah. yeah. What was that event, Jordan? Jordan? It was Phelan Agashka. Very good. Thank you. That's <laughs> always a test of pronunciation. Yeah. So I've actually had quite a few people from Failure on. Um, yeah. And so I've had to say it like a few times now, I think. Uh, okay. and that's, that's the reason why. It's actually, um, it was actually one of my favorite events um, because I, I had like a lot of technical fights there, which was really nice. And mm-hmm. 
the workshops were cool and the you know the the, the whole thing is very relaxed as well mm -hmm, um for sure yeah and and so it's it's an event that i have like very very fond memories of and also uh emmett um emmett burn yes uh, who makes the bucklers yeah yeah his bucklers are ace and uh, i've got i've got a few of them um and like it it was the first time i used one and it was i think like the first one he'd made it was like a prototype and the same thing happened where i turned up um and because before we went to the tournament uh melissa had uh had said um oh the bucklers that we're we're taking are like one centimeter too wide whatever yeah. and yeah. um you know in diameter and i was like is it gonna matter like you know and she went well we've got these small like we got them um from the night shop and they're literally about like the size of a tea uh you it's know like a saucer yeah exactly yeah and so i was like all right fine we'll take those and i like and we turned up and there's somebody there with like a shield and you know all this sort of stuff i was like god damn it because <laughs> um the, the guys who run it they don't care they're like yeah you know whatever um i've had I've had opposite experience at other tournaments where I show up, it's like, oh, it's, yeah, like one year I show up at Sword Fiction, it was that much too long. Next time I spent 45 minutes sawing the end off my rapier. Like, Jesus. And that, yeah, I know, it was painful. You know, so it was just slightly under the max. And um, and that year they didn't check the lengths. Oh, no. <laughs> like That's so awful. Ironic. So ironic. Yeah. So it's like, this is my tournament rapier. It's just a slightly bit shorter. Yeah, because I, be I believe in proportions. I believe in like Monty gives us proportions. It's hard to find proportions in rapier, but uh, T Bolt, who writes in like sixteen hmm, thirty, um, talks about the rapier. The quillen comes to your navel if the point is on the ground, and I just find that measure works for me. So that's that's what I go with. So yeah. now this one's just a little bit shorter, <laughs> just a teeny. Yeah. It, so because like rapier you were talking earlier about like slashing um you know when you're up against other uh, opponents it's it's really funny how like misunderstood the rapier is as oh. not only a weapon but a weapon of war like mm -hmm. you know a, a weapon that you would find on the battlefield and absolutely if you look at portraits of generals from the 1600s there's rapiers aplenty it's yeah i think you've got to think of swords as a sidearm uh, like any sword is a sidearm almost maybe maybe this one is a primary weapon yeah but if you look at like uh, there's a lot of really cool woodcuts of like slash necks they have like long swords belted on the side and in hanging systems while they're while they're carrying a halberd as yeah. a primary and long swords the secondary and they've got a dagger yeah you know? so a rapier is like there's nothing wrong with rapier of a sidearm and what's a rapier is like a whole lot of debate um people uh, collectors academics go by the hilt mostly so they go if it's got if it's got a complex hilt, like AVB Norman has this amazing book on rapiers, which I have here somewhere. But it's like the complex hilt, but the blades can be. You find rapiers that are essentially longsword hilts repositioned, remounted on more fashionable hilts a hundred years later. Still yeah. rapier, I guess. Um, the Italian term is great, of course. You, you familiar with the Italian, the period Italian term for rapier, spada. Oh, as in the sword. As in, as in sword. Yeah. The same word that Fiori uses for his longsword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what the Grassi. That's what, oh, well. I, I guess the Grassi. Yeah, in his original Italian, it's called rapier in English. Uh, Giganti Capifer, it's a spada. They they don't distinguish. Rapier is a word that exists apparently only in other languages. 
yeah, that's excellent. So, I'm aware of like Spada de Lato, but that's side sword, isn't it? Like it's sort of yeah, yeah. Spada de Lato, um, yeah. So the interpretation there's there's a number of interpretations of what that means. Initially, it was thought of as a sword that um, you wear at your side. Um, but then there's the idea that there's the interpretation from, um, I think, Manchelino, when he talks about Spada de Jocco and Spada de Lata, and the implications that Lata has like sharp sides. Well, yeah. Spada de Jocco is a playing sword, so it's got blunt sides. It's a file in period terms. Yeah. Um, so honestly, I don't know what a side sword is, and I don't know what a rapier is in period terms, but I love them. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I, I don't mind uh, side sword. I used to hate it. Like I used to absolutely hate it when I first started um, training, and uh, I I kind of got I, I kind of got into it later, and right. now I hate it again because I have to teach it for the next semester, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. like, so I'm coming up against like against uh, Manchelino's the the names of the guards that he has, and I'm yeah. like, this is Fiore's, but not Fiore, and I thought, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's worse with Vadi and Fury because Vadi has like almost the same guards but with different names, and completely yeah. different guards with the same name, um, and it's the same weapon practically. Yeah. But don't you feel side sword is almost like the generic sword? It's like, it's like a single-handed cutting, trusting sword. It's like it's like the basic sword. Everything else is like a refinement. A rapier is a pointy one. A two-hander is a heavy, cutty one. Um, a falchion is a shorter, one-handed one. But side sword is almost like a sword. It's almost yeah. the essence of sword for me. I, I know what you mean. I think it's just because I'm not used to it. the the kind of body mechanics that I tend to apply to uh, longsword because I'm engaging my hips on both sides. Yeah. For me, I, I'm using the same kind of footwork as I used to when I boxed. So right. I'm much more square on to my opponent. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, even when I'm in Donna, I'm still kind of keeping my hips sort of squared-ish, but not quite. Whereas when I have the side sword, I have to actively force myself to blade my body so that my shoulder is side on to my opponent. Yeah, it uh, just doesn't sit right in you the same way. It's not like yeah, exactly. Know. So I, I'm sort of fighting my nature. But I started yeah. teaching some of my students side sword, and they're like, "Oh, this way, this makes way more sense." And I'm like, "Ah, oh, goddamn it!" So, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe what you need, Jordan, is sword and buckler. I like sword and buckler. I'm all right. Like because it brings that that on your shoulder in a bit more you know yeah so yeah that, that I, might be a better mechanic for you yeah i mean i like sword and buckler i like sword and buckler fine and i do quite well with like mm -hmm. side sword when i'm you know at, like uh when i flip that switch i guess you know uh -huh. um, yeah. but uh it it is that sort of as i said it, it you know it is that i have to do that and um sometimes i've i've screwed that up and I remember, I think it was at Wessex League. So Melissa was in my corner and she was sort of like, um, you know, every time I went back, she's like giving me some advice. And she's like, you're using side sword footwork. And I was using my, um, oh. you know, my long sword. And then later <laughs> when I was doing side sword, she's like, you're using long sword footwork. And I was like, oh, damn it, I can't, you know, I can't win. So yeah, it is that cross discipline sort of thing, I guess. What would really wreck your head is um, if you ever do a pull your saber workshop with Yerji um, Mikhashevsky from Krakow. Um, you know, you know Yerji, he's been at fight camp and stuff. But when he taught it, he was emphasizing that on a horse, you can't turn your hips because that tells the horse to turn. 
Yeah, so you've got to, it's almost like belly dancing. You've got to like isolate. You've got to turn your torso to throw all the blows and isolate your hips. So it's it's completely the other direction. No hip moment. Yeah, that's um, horse, like the the horse riding stuff is something that I've spoken a little to, uh, to Sam Gassman about, and mm -hmm. um, I've talked to some of my students because they're quite interested in it. But there were like dimensions that I hadn't even considered. And that's one of them is the whole like, because I'm used to, uh, you know, with Fura, we've got rear weighted guards. And so yep. you're turning, like you're turning your entire body. You're, right. you know, um, and, and that's great. And that's, you know, that's all good fun. But yeah, on a horse, he's got two guards, like Pasta di Dono, where he's just holding the sword on one shoulder. And then uh, Dente di Zingaro, so he's holding the sword quite low. And I was like, why is he doing it? And that does answer the question, I suppose, because obviously if you're just coming from this side and you're bringing it across your body, then you're not like you're, you're, you're going to be turning your horse into your opponent, I guess, if you do um, move your head. I'm, I'm also not like most of what I know about fighting a horseback, I've read from Monty, so I'm not expert. I'm planning, I've got an invitation from the Gasmans to go down because, you know, they're in Wexford. Yeah. Um, when the world opens up again and we're going to do some regular horse training with them, which I'm really looking forward to, by the way, and sort of trying out some of this Monty stuff on, on the horse. Yeah. But I have another theory, which is that your opponent is going to cut. Uh, Monty has some great advice for fighting on horseback. His primary advice is never agree to a one-on-one -on -one combat on horseback where it's forbidden to kill the horses. <laughs> <laughs> That's number one. Because um, I think essentially if you're skilled as Monty, it's, it's, it's a random number generator. They can you they have a horse they can overbear your horse they can pressure your horse it's not down to your skill and your opponent's skill anymore it's mm. about their horse and your horse so he even has advice for if if it's forbidden to kill the horse what you should do is take the pommel of your of your sword and whack the horse on the faceplate as hard as you can this will stun the horse but cannot be said to be injuring them and then when the horse is stunned you can you can fight the opponent from home for the, their horse is immobile brilliant this is during the fight, right? Not before the fight, where you just run no, up and kind of, Yeah, no, it's kind of hard to hide that. Like, in the, yeah. hey, how you doing? Whack! Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, you ready for this horse fight? Oh, an FYI, I killed your horse, right? Mapped up. <laughs> um, but, but I think there's another reason that if you guard from, from your left, your opponent's blows are cutting from the right, and maybe what you need to guard a lot is your horse's head. Mm. So I'm making this up, but I'm aware of some guards from later mounted cavalry, like the post-Napoleonic systems where you're you need to you 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 extend the blade over the horse's head as an advanced guard to kind of intercept the, the easy shot you know yeah in, in war people aren't that sporting yeah <laughs> it's uh, something that i talked to these guys about was like it would be great if you could see tournaments you know with with horses as well that would be oh, that'd be awesome oh, yeah oh yeah. yeah actually if you watch um jack gassman has some videos up of like training some Ross effect and stuff um, yeah. where they're they're using a lot of the basic listener material like the basic uh, for master hound and so forth on horses and Jack has this interpretation that maybe a lot of the mechanics of and logic of that fight comes from horse horse fighting but you've got this very limited window of engagement and you have to do something quickly there's like there's an attack moment in this and your past essentially so it's interesting um i'm not explaining it well so don't quote any of that no, okay no, no. Sorry, jack my second apology of the day but um he's a guy we're talking to i would recommend you have a, have a chat with him if you're interested in, in yeah yeah I've, uh, I've chatted with jack a few times um for force of virtue which is the the tabletop uh game right 
Yeah, yeah. How'd it go with that too? Cool game. Yeah, no, I, like I, I thought it was great. I thought it was great fun. The only problem I have at the moment is just that because the world is kind of opening up, at the very least in Wales anyway, because I know that... Uh -huh. Not here. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, I mean, it, it's kind of been a bit dicey in Ireland. Um, it's, it's been really strange. We had the best, just to get on like present day maps, we had like the lowest rate of kind of COVID transmission in Europe back in like late November. And then yep. we opened for three weeks in Christmas. And then we had the highest rate of transmission in Europe. We're like, we're a little too huggy or something. I don't know. We're very social. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's uh, one of my friends, Brian, um, he and I, when we meet up, we don't hug. We don't like, we don't shake hands. None of that. We just kind of give each other a nod. And we said, like, it, it's like we've been training for this pandemic for years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, That's why Finland is doing so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, I think um, some friends of mine from uh, Sweden turned around and said, uh, you know, this this five like you know this five meter um, social distancing thing is really difficult. We can't wait to go back to ten meter social distancing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yes, like a Scandinavian bus queue. It's like a picket yes. line. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean. Um, but that's yeah that's the thing so it's a, things are opening up here a little bit more so unfortunately i'm i can't like commit to force of virtue as much as i would like but it's one of those things that um i think would be great for like peripheral learning for people um it's like you know when you play video games in a historic setting and if they've actually done their research then there's stuff that, that you kind of learn without intending to it's just oh right oh okay that's real um and then you know because you don't with historic characters like Monte, like, you know, um, one of my favorites is Talhofer, because even though his work isn't a system, it's it's a bag of tricks, the character himself, like, he's really intriguing. And so mm -hmm. these these guys were larger than life. You almost don't need to make a fictional character. You could base everything around that. So what, what the gas men, gas men, gas mans are doing, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, is is really cool because I think that you know um, a lot of people will get you know yeah. for, for people who don't know you should probably explain that a, kind of a key mechanism of the game is that you it's kind of based on Fiori's four virtues yeah like the, the attributes of like strength um, speed um, depends on how you translate it um, discrimination measurement what would you say yeah I, I tend to uh, so like prudence um, just because that's the most direct kind mm -hmm. of word that we have in English, but yeah, yeah. Uh, measure, sort of like um, calculating or, or calculation, mm -hmm. I guess, because it's with the, um, uh, with the calipers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, and then audacia, so audaciousness or, or like boldness or bravery. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. no, I, I, think that's, I think that's a really intriguing mechanic as well. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the fact that you roll dice according to, to that, which... Yeah, yeah. Which, which, which the characters imbued with themselves, like their yes. personal characteristics. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very nice. And it, it almost kind of, I almost feel you could do a similar game with Monte and the, the humors, the balance of humors you have. So Oh, that'd be cool, actually. Yeah. So what are the four humors that he talks about? So it depends on, depends on how you, you call them. But essentially, um, there's phlegmatic, choleric, melancholic, and sanguinic. So, so there's this amazing natural philosophy thing where apparently if you take if you take blood like 
a large amount of blood, you put it in like in a glass, if you leave it over time, it will settle into three different colors. There's basically black bile, yellow bile, there's like this clear fluid. So apparently the ancients sort of interpreted that there were these four essential essences in people because when blood sort of sorts itself out, you have these and they connected them philosophically with the elements of fire, wind and water. So if you if you're, have color, if you have heat in your system, for instance, you might be like prone to like explode or anger or 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 um, like strong energy, yeah. but those who are kind of more stable will come into the room after the time. Some are slower to hit their hit their finding. There's actually a chapter in book, uh, not in book, but in the third book of Monty, where he talks about how you choose the fighter, like what place they should come in the fight, according to the predominant temperament. So you choleric or you sanguinic. Um, so there's a whole like. And there's layers and layers and layers in this. I actually think it would be good. There's a class, there's a class actually that I think uh, Fran, um, like, I'm not sure how we say this now. I Fran, say Laquata. Again. Say again? I say Laquata. Laquata, okay. Thank you for saving me from more translation. That's Sorry, all right, Fran. buddy. I'll jump on this more one. Translation. You jumped on the one before. So. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, like Fran, I, some years ago, I remember, was teaching a workshop, I think it was based in Alfieri, on the four humors as like how you, how you fight against your opponent, how you read your opponent, and how you you kind of choose your strategy for fighting them. So, mm -hmm. so it's a thread that is actually that runs through a lot of of martial systems from Monty elsewhere. Um, but I, I've seen it's more it's more about Monty is more about it. Monty like goes into depth, and like I said, he's got an entirely other book. It's also I'm, I don't really want to go down into the weeds on this, but you have a predominant. Um, temperament, but you also have a secondary temperament. So almost nobody's just entirely, you know, fire or, or entirely like phlegm. You're sort of somewhere in between. So if you're, um, for instance, if you're phlegmatic sanguinic, um, you should loosen up a bit um, before joining in battle. So you should basically train to tiredness and then join in battle. And then he would hold as long as if he's a pure phlegmatic. I think this suits me actually, because I find that I need to warm up Sometimes like for 45 minutes, do something really intense, get tired, and then sort of I'm on. But if I hit a tournament cold, I'm like three or four bouts waking up and getting hit and then go, now I'm on, but it's a little too late, you know? Yeah. So so I think it's good to pattern yourself, not just your opponent. You're like, what 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 sort of characteristics do I have? Uh, and maybe not work off, you know, the lumpiness of your head, but maybe <laughs> yeah. there, there are other clues, you know, like uh, what staying power you have compared to what um, your initial strength is. Yeah. Um, but um, so, so yeah, so Monty would, thinks it's really important for a general to think about not just people, but horses, um, for instance, as well, beasts in, in the constituency of, of, of these four humors. Um, so it's like, like, yeah, it's very much like medieval um, psychological testing, I would say. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. Um, I mean, like, I'm, I'm intrigued to read it because I have quite a lumpy head. Like I've got like quite a quite a prominent brow, like you know I've got a Neanderthal brow and you know quite a bulbous nose. So I, I want to read what that, you're totally speaking Monty's language. <laughs> like, like absolutely. Like I'm hoping it's good. I'm hoping it means like yeah, you know you're you're level-headed and you. It's, it's not so much good or bad. But it's kind of like there's a way of fighting and working that suits you. Right. And, and if you're a commander of men, well, like Latin's kind of less sexist than that, but commander of people, yeah. you, um, 
you know, man's implied, you know, in that era, yeah. um, that you um, you can get farther by reading your opponent's um, characteristics and by reading your own troops characteristics and placing people in giving them a job that suits their temperament. So yeah. there's, like, there's like, I, I have to, pro I should actually totally put together a, like a, what's your, what's your humor uh, test and just put it up on the internet. Think it would that'd be, be Yeah, that'd be really cool. But uh, I mean, there's a lot of sense in that because like, you know, you get, there are times where I'm trying to sort of like square peg somebody and like, you know, put yeah. a square peg in a round hole. And I'm like, hey, yeah. man, can you do this for me? I'm getting I'm getting people to try and sort of take responsibility in one way or whatever, um, either at work or, um, you know, in, in HEMA and stuff. And mm -hmm. they don't want to do that. They don't want to, um, you know, they don't want to be instructors. They don't want to be... Uh, yeah, yeah. They're just, they're yes. just like either socialize or... or um, you know, or just train and fight and don't have any interest in anything else. Uh, and that's absolutely fine, you know. Um, but I find myself doing it now and again because I'm like, you know, that's that's what I've got to do. But at the same time, um, I think that, it, yeah, I think there's a lot of sense to it. And it can be quite damaging when you do try to, to push somebody in the direction they don't want to go. Um, like one of the best, uh, one of the best fighters I came across um, when I was in Italy, I said to him, like, you know, how come you're not like sort of teaching anybody? And he was like, because I don't want to. I just want to fight. I just want to fight. I don't care at all about anybody's glory yeah. but my own. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. Yep. And that's interesting too, because for many years when I was teaching, like, say, rapier and Latin Fiori Longsword, at times you'd get people who'd, who'd come and they'd go. And they, some would say, and I kind of go, hmm, what am I doing wrong? But then, you know, someone shows up and they're so enthusiastic. And then like they come in and become a trainer and go, it's it's not just you. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a two-way thing. It's a two-way stream between you and the people you're, you're training with you. Like you meet their needs, they meet your needs, like by creating a group that you can, you can grow. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not every, everyone is for everything. Um, I guess I, I was kind of fuzzy when I, when I was, explaining the um, humor. So I should probably say that the idea is that each of those four things, like the blood is sanguine, and that's kind of, people who are like warm, as you might imagine, enthusiastic. Then there's yellow bile, which are choleric. Um, so they tend to be more, um, how would I put this? Aggression, aggressive, I think is probably the best way. It's kind of like, if there's, ex basically what happens if you have all the humors in balance, you're even and you're ideal, but nobody almost has all the humors in balance. So uh, blood, enthusiasm, excess enthusiasm, if it's too sanguinic, too much bile, then too much yellow bile, it's too much aggressive. So that's um, um, choleric. Uh, black bile, which is literally melancholy, obviously it's kind of like depressive or restrained. And phlegm, people who are phlegmatic tend to be kind of slower and more reserved. So it's, it's like the balance of these four is in everybody. Um, and you can apparently in his other book um, on, on, which is on this, he, he kind of types you, your three most common, you can, you kind of pick the three most, the primary, the secondary, and the third most influential uh, for a full personality test. Um, so it's, it's amazing. It's, it's something incredibly modern about this way of thinking, <clears throat> but it's based on ancient Greece, Greek philosophy of like healing. And it, and if you're familiar at all with Ayurveda or traditional Indian medicine, they have like three elements essentially. There's like Vata Pitta Kapha, which again is like 
um, air, fire, and earth. So those are the three represented in India. But in China, they have five elements. I was going to say it, it, it does kind of remind me of some of the things that I've encountered in Eastern sort of, uh, you know, Eastern philosophy and Eastern martial arts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they've got, they've got wood and metal in China. So isn't it strange that the most, the essential thing, the, the, the elements themselves have like those different elements as you yeah. cross culturally. <laughs> yeah, that's not a, that, that's not an element. This is an element, yeah. Um, and Because uh, I mean, like obviously famously, the Book of Five Rings is broken up into those elements except metal i think is nothingness but yes. it's not nothing but no thing like as yeah, in or, yeah i would say void but yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, like um uh, an absence um mm -hmm. but then that's interesting in itself to think of an absence as an element you know um yeah. so yeah that's um i think yeah i think things like that are really kind of intriguing and more maybe even more of a window into the way people thought about themselves and you know and, yes. and yeah. the psychology yeah. of of the medieval person or the you know historical totally, totally. Uh, one of the one of the 273 odd chapters marty has in his collectinia uh, collectinia just means collection like anthology is the yeah. best translation of that the anthology of military arts and exercises is how i translate it but Yes, is a chapter on why it is why writers should understand temperaments, because if you're going to write about people, you should understand how people work. So it's kind of like advice for you know, yeah, for, for the arts as well. Yeah, everybody needs to know this. Yeah, and for like writers, by like you know, biographers and uh, and. Hundred percent. Yeah. 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 It's it's um, it's a system for understanding, not just humanity, but like the world and living creatures in, in general. So it's it's that very renaissance thing of like a systematic way of looking at things. So I often feel in medieval times, there's like a, a bit of information from some ancient authority that we take as gospel and that's it. But there's a renaissance idea of trying to understand in a systematic way, how things work. And I think including fencing, I think Monty's fencing is quite systematic, even though you have to read a lot and think about it and interpret it to kind of figure that out in my opinion, because it's not explained as say, Fury, I think his system stands out very clearly, for yeah. instance. Um, but Monty, you kind of have to read chapters on the, the basic way of fighting, which is called the Levata or rising up, which is taught with the pole axe and the two-handed sword. And then you've got to kind of read lots and lots of chapters on why two blows, or why if you're going to do two blows, you might want to do three, or the value of rising blows, or there's all these little chapters. And you have to kind of read through them, figure them out and go, like try them out and go, oh, okay, you kind of see how you might state that more systematically, but I think there really is a system, which is something I find in sort of all, most of the worthwhile HEMA sources. I'm not saying Talhoff is not worthwhile, it's just saying it's hard to figure out. Oh yeah, yeah, if there is a system. Which, is why, which is why I said like, you know, it's not a system, it's a bag of tricks and that's fine. Yeah. Like now and again, I'll look at it and I'm like, oh, that's, that's a bit dirty. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna like, because it lends itself quite well to, to Fury, I find, or, or, you know, the Lichtenhauer, um, tradition. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think it's quite fun. Like one of them is literally just hold your knife behind your back um, <laughs> with both hands, so he doesn't know where it's coming from. You know, is it okay, that's brilliant. Yes, that's almost like Codex Wallerstein level of like if you want to rob a peasant, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, know, you grab his throat. Yeah. 
pinch a wedge, wedge of skin and cut that just little wedge and the peasant will think you've cut their throat and panic and you can rob them. And they won't yeah, yeah. It's like, this uh, is the non, this is the deep <laughs> learning we've been missing at early HEMA. It's now coming to us. Yeah. Um, is that like, I mean, is that how you would say HEMA differs from things like SEA or Buhert and things like that? Because it's something I've been talking to people a lot about recently. No. Okay, so I, I'm, I think I'm well positioned to talk about HEMA and SEA because I, I participate in both. Um, I, I did some training, I did first few trainings for the Irish medieval armor combat team when it was starting up. But yeah, you know, I don't have, yeah, have a full suit of plate armor and there was a point where it's getting a little intense and I don't have a full suit of plate armor. So I thought I'll hang on for a bit. Yeah, it's, sure. on, my, it's on my to do list though. I, I have plans developing to get a 15th century plate suit that Monty would approve of, of course. Um, but um, I've had a bunch of Bohert fighters have come to like, I did a Polax workshop, um, um, just like an intro to Polax. I had three or four guys and, and ladies who were on the Irish MAC team. So hmm. it was interesting to just chat about that. So I know some of the guys, um, I have a lot of respect for the level of intensity. Like, okay, so I think the basic principle is if you're in a group, you take the piss out of all the other groups. I think that's accepted, right? Yeah. Like, where do we start? I think classical fencers probably piss on HEMA people. HEMA people piss on Buhert people. Buhert people piss on SDA people. Everybody pisses on LARPers. But so Buhert, I think it's just, it's not very medieval, except yeah. in the, the gear is quite medieval to a point. At least it looks medieval. It's medieval, but then you can use titanium or yeah. neutral armor, right? Yeah. Um, but the level of intensity is nuts. And I think it's probably the closest you can get to recreation of a certain 15th century club like tournaments. Yeah. Where you know they, they follow the format, you go and they batter each other with hard blows and people give up. Which essentially I think how it works. I think there's a lot of cred and there's a lot of intensity, and it's a little crazy, and the injury rates are maybe more than I feel comfortable with, but I there's a lot to be learned from that. And I really do want to go there and try Fury and Monty in that context without trusting sadly because you can't yeah 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 you know but like there's a lot like it's full on i respect that yeah so that's burhurt and um, sca is like i think people have a hard time understanding the sca because it's it's a much bigger thing than you they see sort of one corner of it they see a shape and they don't see the whole the best way to imagine the whole of the sca is, is a medieval event most years in pennsylvania at a campsite called cooper's lake it's called the Penzig war uh, 10,000 people camp for up to two weeks at this event. Um, so it's this medieval like tent city. It's a town. Mm. Um, there's Penzik University, which goes on at that time. There are sometimes 12 class, simultaneous classes per hour for a week in all kinds of historical arts and crafts from bookbinding to cooking, to dancing, to calligraphy illumination, to whatever. Um, medieval firearms they have guys who do cannons up on the hill and they do workshops on how to how to how to how to arm and dress like you know how to do period black powder weapons like it's everything so it's everything about the medieval experience so a very small subset a small subset not a very small i guess is there's there's like archery okay there's combat disciplines there is um fencing which is kind of more like hema um sometimes very hema sometimes not at all but uh, I'll get to that. And the most kind of SCA characteristic thing is is SCA armored combat, which is kind of like Berhurt, but we use rattan weapons. So rattan weapon weighs like a full heavy sword, but it's made out of cane 
that flexes, it doesn't splinter. It's about this diameter. It has the weight. The characteristic thing of rattan fighting, like Burhardt, is it's full contact. The basic minimum requirement is you hit someone hard enough that in theory, who knows, it would go through chainmail. Who knows? But there's a, a standard where you fight. And if it's not good enough, people just ignore your hits. So unlike Hema, where we're usually trying to scale it down and be nice to each other, in SCA, you don't go for excess, but you go for full contact. So what it boils down to is you can fight with everything from a short sword, sword and shield, to a pole axe, to turn a weapon to a nine foot spear, with reasonable safety, with trusting and cutting. There's a few concessions of safety where you don't strike people. You don't take hits to the hand, though we're usually very well protected. You can't strike to the knees or below, because apparently that didn't work out well when people were doing that with heavy weapons. Sure, yeah. I can't imagine why. Um, but pretty much everything else is in. Um, whether it's single combats and the level of skill, this has been happening for 50 years. There are people who are like, look like old, middle-aged, you know, kind of heavy guys. They are monsters. They're like, the, the level of skill is phenomenal because this is combat sport that's existed for 50 years in its own culture with tens of thousands of people doing it. Um, also in the SCA, you can get on field, depends like for field battle, where there are 1,500 people on the side. There are units of 100, 120. It's bigger than some medieval battles. Yeah. And, then, and you do it three times a day, which is cool. Um, you know, and it's just like, you take a hit, you're out. You, you, you take a killing hit, you're out. You take an arm hit. You kind of have this very simple rule set where you lose an arm. Well, you can't use the arm anymore. It sucks to be you. You lose a leg. Well, you're on your knees. Yeah. Which isn't great in a melee, you know. And there's a bit of politeness. You can't run around a club like a baby seal, you know. But, so you have to fight him from the front, whatever. But it's just, it's this massive thing that is the SCA. It's this whole kind of idea of creating. It started with some history students in Berkeley back in the late 60s who had a medieval party. And it was a really successful party and had a tournament and people dressed up and and it just kept rolling from there. So there's maybe, I don't know, 60,000 people participating worldwide in the SCA. Um, but it's not just fencing. It's not just like HEMA, it's not just, it's, it's, it's just a kind of a medieval environment where you make an attempt to be medieval and people kind of share their joy in, in doing stuff for themselves. Unlike reenactment where it's kind of for the public, almost never is an SCA event for the public. It's people want to do, sometimes really high level crafts sometimes like i have a friend down the midlands who raised her own jacob sheep which are a medieval breed which you would then take take the wool she would card it make yarn and she, she would knit like period garments out of it it's like intense yeah. um, but so to come back to like how it connects to hema so you're ready you're, you're sorry you asked this question <laughs> but <laughs> but but to, to finish an answer um so in many ways, a lot of SCA fencing is like we rapier is the predominant weapon, and people usually have like rapiers or rapier similars from companies like Darkwood or Castile or whatever in the states. Or you know, I use like I got some really nice ones from Pike last year. Um, but often it's kind of in, in some places it's very hema focused on sources, and some of the some of really top level skill fighters and knowledgeable fencers and teachers come at, at the SCA or they also teach in the SCA. I mentioned people like Gary Chalik. William Wilson way back in the day. There's a lot more. Um, but also, there's no kind of requirement to be medieval. So some SCA fighter practices like fight club with, with rapiers, you go on your fence and you have fun. Um, and some of them, you know, there's a, very, there's, there's, a, there's a structured training system. So it's just, it's just a very mixed bag. Um, but the level of fencing is really high. And if you take someone, the guy who won rapier at Swordfish, last time there was a Swordfish, um, Rob Childs, like he, he started rapier fencing in the SCA. I think he's only recently been in HEMA. I think he came 
if I remember rightly, second at Minsk, first at Swordfish. It's a good year for him. Uh, yeah. but I think he came out of nowhere. He went to like a, a few Southern California HEMA events and like blew people away. It's like, where did he come out of? Because there's this whole other environment that people are being rapier fencing and passing on practical knowledge, sometimes period knowledge, not always. Sometimes yeah. like very practical how you fence knowledge, just good fencing theory that's out there. So it's it's a whole other environment. I like it. I like the idea of the idea that there's a society where the aim is to be like courteous and chivalric, and not necessarily in that kind of overly self-conscious look at me way, but the idea that courtesy is important. And it's something that's sometimes missing in modern society. Yeah. And there's also something, and you probably have this reenactor re events as well. There's this culture of like the day is done, you're sitting around a campfire, you're singing songs, you're cooking medieval food. It's kind of how humans have evolved to live in some ways. You know, it's kind of a more natural way of living. There's a society, you generally get on because you're having fun at these events. It's, it's, it's better than an average society. Um, and there's a sense of community. Yeah. And, you know, no community is perfect, but there's a really nice vibe. Um, but, you know, there's a really cool vibe I get, let's say, Wesley as well, because that's a community. So, and yeah. when people are having fun, doing the thing they want, doing it to a high standard, it, it tends to be a good, a good scene. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I mean, I met my wife through reenactment. Um, mm -hmm. She shot me in the testicles with an arrow. It was a great, it was a great thing. Um, I married her. So, you know, I had the last laugh. Um, I, <clears throat> um, my best friend, um, we kind of bonded through reenactment. Uh, yeah, my closest friends, it was like through reenactment because like, as you say, there's the whole thing of like sitting around a fire, but also being like shoulder to shoulder with them in, right. in heat, um, yeah. you know, intense moments. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, and like, you know, if it's, if it's you guys and you know that you were the ones that held the flank, um, right. and you're the ones that stopped everything from falling apart, mm -hmm. yeah. um, yeah. That's that's cool. Even if nobody else knows, we don't care. We know right. it. You know, right. we like we'll sit around a campfire and we'll kind of go, oh, but that thing that you did, that was really good. Oh no, it's you. It's, <laughs> it was all you. And it, you know, and yeah, that's that's a really awesome feeling. So, um, one hundred percent. Like it's one of those things. Like as unlike Boohert, like like yourself, um, yeah. SEO is one of those things where I'm like, oh, I might, you know, I might go and give that a look. But it it's about it's about the commitment, the the money and all that sort of stuff, because I find that HEMA and reenactment, and also I like scuba diving as well, which is ludicrous oh, right. expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just having these expensive hobbies and going, ah, can I afford like one more, even if it's like loosely um, sort of connected? Well, well I, I guess the good thing about like, if you have reenactment garb, you're set for SEA. The main, the main issue for showing up in an SEA event is to make an attempt at garb. So yeah. It, that makes it easier yeah, yeah I've, I've had that with uh, people who have invited me to larp events as well mm -hmm. they're like you, you've yeah. got viking gear you can just turn up in that or you've got like many okay. gear. just just yeah. do that sort of stuff and i'm like yeah i'm like i've i've been to uh i've been to like a couple of larp mm -hmm. events and they were fine they're like they're 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 okay i i wasn't blown away by it um just because there, there were a few people there who were you know you come in and there, there is a little almost like a sort of caste system at the, at the very least yes. in the, in the yeah. sort of um in the the, the larpy like stuff the fractions yeah which i which i haven't encountered in like other stuff so that was my only that was the only thing that i was um not attracted to but there's this event called empire which um mm. my 
my friend's girlfriend is like one of the organizers actually and that's like right. 2000 people getting together and, and fighting it's rare that we get that kind of number together for reenactment so it's like mm-hmm. um i'm finding out about all these like huge huge battles oh, i could go i could do that but then yeah again i'm like nah 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 i, I, knew, a bunch <laughs> of people, I knew a bunch of people who do empire and it, it looks really good um what i so what i, I have you you've done LARP fighting then don't you find it's dangerous yeah yeah kind of ironically yeah <laughs> um uh i so at one point when i was doing when we did, we had a hole for SCA Armored Combat and we shared it with some LARPers. It listened to a lot of loud noises, I'll tell you. But so, you know, we did some crossover stuff and I tried some LARP fighting with these guys. And but first time I did, I wrenched my elbow because the weapon is so light. Like normally there's momentum you have to build up. I just, yeah. oh, that was a little too much. And apparently I whacked <laughs> a friend of mine really, get really deep bruise on her inner tie. She didn't quite show me, but I took her word for it. Yeah. I was still there the next week. Um, I, have a note, I have a friend who's do fencing with me rapier with me she like you know she's like lost thumbnails doing larping just just wasn't wearing a glove got taken off yeah. i remember some finnish guys in the sca they have this they have an amazing larp scene in nordic countries but they have this event in summer in finland called sotahuta it's like war cry if i remember rightly and yeah. he came in he was like limping around this, this camp event for a week because he like ran into a boulder and like really messed up his leg so yeah. It's like the safer the weapons, the less care and less training people give. So you gotta yeah. watch out for that. But it's not just that. It's like, uh, so uh, my mate was telling me about this event that he went to and it was in, <laughs> it was in December. So it's obviously very cold and it's in Britain. And he's yeah. going around and he's like, has anybody got a hatchet or a hammer, right? And somebody's like, like you, know, um, you know, an actual hatchet or hammer. And yeah. uh, people are like, what, what do you want it for? Um, and he's like, okay, well, as part of the story, I need to break the ice because I've got a wetsuit and I'm going to be a merman and I'm going to wait for people to come and find me on this quest that I've put together. And they're like, dude, it's the middle of December. If it, if it's, if you want to crack the ice on the water, it means that it's like frozen. Are you serious? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. I got a, I got a wetsuit. I'm just going to wait in the water for these people to pass by don't even worry about it and i'm like did he and he's like no he we talked him out of it because that would he would have died waiting in the water yeah Yeah, exactly oh my mouth doesn't work anymore because my whole body's numb i'm just blinking sos and nobody seems to have noticed me so yeah um ah, madness i'm like i'll I'll have no part of it (laughs) this has been great man um it's been fun yeah where can people find you online? Um, best place. Okay, so there's a couple of places. Um, my website is is mikeprendergast.ie. Simple enough. Yeah. Um, and um, if you just look for me on Facebook, I'm Mike Prendergast Author. It's probably the easiest way to find me. Um, I have a group called the Historical Combat Academy, but there's not a lot going on for the past year. So occasional posts. So yeah, yeah just look at Mike, Mike Prendergast Author on Facebook or... Um, Actually, on Facebook, to be sure you find me, Mike G. Prendergast will get me. But yeah, MikePrendergast.ie is like handy. So it's where I have a link to Monty Translation if you're interested in checking that out. I'm working on a new edit, so there'll be a new version, but that's where we are at the moment. If you'd like to find out more about historical European martial arts, visit www.academyofsteel.com. Or if you have any questions, you can shoot them over to us at info at academyofsteel.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and TikTok.
I don't go on Twitter very much though, so probably don't go there.